So I think what I'll do is I'll give y'all a little bit extra for your money tonight. I'll start two minutes early. Um, what I would like to do is be done in two weeks, and this be one of those weeks. We have three videos to fit into that, but we're going to watch two, if we're able to do it. If, if after the first one there's just unstoppable discussion, then I'm not going to get in the way. Um, but we're going to watch two tonight, and I, and I think that's not a mistake in one sense because um, um, there, there's somewhat of a repetition you're going to you're going to find that you're going to hear some things tonight. Ah, he's kind of mentioned that before, and so I think he's just driving home some things. You know, it's kind of like you got a hammer and you hit a nail, and you just keep driving. And the more you hear it, the rep repetition of it, the deeper it gets in there, and the greater chance it has to tick. So I don't have any problem with the repetition. God doesn't either in the scripture. So there'll be somewhat of repetition. Therefore, that's why I don't have a problem kind of moving a little bit faster with this. We'll watch the first video. And uh, this is, this is I gave myself a schedule. I'm going to try to stick to it. The teacher that follows me is gracious enough to say, Eddie, if you can't stick to just two weeks, he'll give me another week. So thank you, Phil, for that graciousness. Um, we're going to watch lesson four. And the reason I gave you the paper and the pencil, I really want you to pay attention and take notes. And I'm just going to say, hey, okay, if you got one take home from this, this is going to be more him teaching and less discussion, less me talking, hopefully, um, hopefully less me talking, that is. But what's the main point or points? What's your take home? What's questions that you have? If there are one thing that stands out, um, one thing I, I, I'm not so pleased with this video nor the next one is I think he he puts in I can't remember in this one how the second one does he puts in a token verse but it's not just and it says here and then it says here in the Bible so it's all biblical but he's not strongly referencing scripture in this as much and so I want you to be thinking I I, I want us to go home with some scripture from this from what he said what would be a good take home scripture from this first video and then from what he said in the second video what's another good take home scripture I really like this to be nourished from scripture when we come together and this is not as strong in that as it as I would like for it to be but it's still it's all very biblical um, he is going to uh, if you need pens for taking notes let me know he is going to uh, oh I got one more minute to end my stellar introduction um, okay he's gonna he's gonna answer this question and then I'm gonna say how did he answer this question the question is we've been having it wait a minute wait a minute Get rid of anger. You're saying not to be angry about injustice? Is that how? And so he's going to deal with that tonight, okay? Because we've been really wrestling with that. We've been really wrestling. No anger? Are you serious? He's going to, he's going to repeat that again. And it's, it's, it's going to be a rub again. So it's a somewhat of repetition. Um, but there is a, a good, strong, some good, strong take-home points, even if you struggle with the points he makes about anger. What's the verse that comes out here? What are your main take-home points? We'll watch that, and it will get over at 6.50. We'll give ourselves 10 minutes to wrestle with it, and then we'll go to Lesson 5 at 7, and it'll go to 18, 17 and a half minutes, and then we'll talk about that for 10 minutes. We'll close with a prayer, and at 7.30, you will be walking out the door. So, there you are. And I'm already late, I think, so let's go. <laughs> Did I turn that one down? Let's see. Let's just see what happens here. Okay, go. Mm -hmm. 
need a pen, take notes, raise your hand. Shouldn't do that. Don't tell my elders. Oh man, okay. We're just gonna listen to the music. <laughs> what about injustice? Keep going. Oh yeah. You point at the screen, it's supposed to be down there. Brilliant. See, the thing with me and driving is that I know I'm not a good driver. I'm actually terrible, which makes me great. So I'm actually better than average because I know I'm not. True story, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very careful because I know I'm terrible. I drive people crazy by how carefully I drive. The technology that you need just to park on the street, kids don't know this, but you used to just put a coin in a thing, like the meter things, you really need like augmented reality goggles and stuff to even see like a QR code. It's all too complex. I got other things to think about and do. I, I almost hit that guy. This isn't broad avenue, is it? It's nice. I mean, I bet a certain time of year this is really pretty. I'm not here right now, but like at another time. There we go. Very vividly 
to his white brothers and sisters who he feels let down by. But it's not angry. It's very clear-headed. And it's also headed towards reconciliation is what he's trying to do with these people who have wronged him. He rejected the idea of righteous anger and he stood up against injustice. We can do this in our lives. In fact, think about this. If we need anger to do justice, who are the people charged in our culture with like the justice system? Do you want police angry? We've seen where that goes. We, it's horrible. Do you want judges angry? No, we want them clear mind actually doing the right thing, protecting the innocent, and working out justice without anger. You're better off without it. Whatever you can do with anger, Dallas Willard said, I quote him a lot, because he also believed this as well. He said, whatever you do with anger, you can do better without it. The weird thing is, though, because we call it righteous anger, because we decided we have, I have my anger's righteous. My anger's always righteous to me, right? I'm never like, I'm angry and I'm wrong. No, we, we always think, everybody thinks their anger is righteous. So you pat yourself on the back for it because it's righteous, right? So the angrier I get, that must be I'm really righteous because I'm really angry. Like our culture has made this error. It doesn't fix anything. But action actually does. The problem is they've even done studies on Twitter, for instance, which anger, by the way, travel so fast on Twitter, they've proven that. You can you can write something inspiring and beautiful and profound. You know, one person clicks like as a pity like on there. You do something angry and bam, retweets, it's off. You can you affirm somebody else's sense of righteous anger, then it travels around the world quickly. Anger travels on social media. Beauty doesn't. That's too bad. But that's how we humans operate. And they have shown, I, th I find this fascinating, they've, they've actually shown with studies that they've done that the people who tweet the most about whatever issue are less likely to give to that issue. I find that fascinating, but it also kind of makes sense because if you think my me expressing my outrage is actually me doing something about it, then you did something. I did, I tweeted. I took a stand, I tweeted about it. I'm not saying don't tweet about things or don't Facebook about what that's up to you. What I am saying is don't conflate that with actually taking action and making a self making a sacrificial stand for something. That's where the beauty is. It's not anger. Anger will cloud your judgment. Anger solves nothing. I'll give you an example of how you can do things, like like a parking spot, for instance. Let's say somebody takes your parking spot, it's yours. You don't have to let them have the parking spot. You can tell them, you're in my parking spot, you're gonna need to leave. You can do it without anger. You can actually do the right thing without anger. It doesn't mean you have to roll over, anybody can do whatever they want, they can take your spot, they can take your car, they can drive off with it, like that's not it, it's not what I'm talking about. But the fact is, like Willard said, whatever you do with anger, you could do better without it. And what's fascinating about this, so I've been trying to practice this unoffendable thing, and it is a practice. You actually can get better at this because you, you're constantly reminding yourself to forgive people. So it's just kind of, it becomes a lifestyle of forgiveness and letting go of anger. 
It doesn't mean you get run over. So after I wrote this book, my wife, when we, we lived in the city, my wife was out walking our dog at 8.30 in the morning, and a dude comes out of nowhere and has, this is so random and bizarre. The young guy comes running down the street with a hammer and throws it at her head. Yes, my wife is so weird. So she ducks, she doesn't know what to do. She's like, you don't know what to do. You don't expect, oh, I'm trying to go throw a hammer at my head. Here's about 8.30. She didn't know what to do, so she, she like struggles to pick up this hammer, it's on the street, and the guy comes running at her, grabs her, puts her in a headlock, and starts throwing her around, and throws her on the street. And she's screaming, you know, help me, and the guy runs off. And the wild thing about this was, we reported it to the police instantly, they didn't arrest the guy. And so he would walk by our window. We, we were right on the street where we lived. We would see him. She'd be knitting, and that same guy would come walking right by our window, like like three feet away from her, sitting on the couch every day. And so I would call the police again. I called the mayor. I'm like, hey, this guy needs to be arrested. Nothing's happened. I followed the guy back to his house and called 911. I know where the guy lives. He's right there. I'm looking at him. Like, come get the guy. They didn't do anything. So we lived in an area called Midtown, which was having a crime wave at the time. And they, they'd had some serious stuff going on, like murders and whatnot. And I just, I thought, somebody got to do something. So I put on a nice looking sport coat and I drove downtown. I told my wife before I left, like, like I'm going down to the mayor's office or somewhere and I'm not leaving until they arrest this guy. This isn't fair for you to be terrorized like this. And she's very level-headed, but it was just like, this is so weird that he's still out on the street at any time could run into him. So I go down, true story. I go downtown. I don't know where the mayor's office is. I was asking people, I was going in buildings like, is this a city building? Can you point me to the right one? They have different government buildings or whatever. This is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I walk into this building, I like, I walk into a building, and I'm, I'm not making this up. I walk in behind a press conference in a lobby about crime in Midtown. <laughs> and up front, the guys, the police chief and the mayor are up front, and they're like the lead inspector guy, and they say, we need citizens to get involved to stop crime in Midtown. <laughs> and they and were just finishing up. I, I walked in behind it, I had my nice sport coat on and everything, like, Wow, this is amazing. Like, Any other questions? I was like, I got a question. I got a question. So they're like, okay, and they actually picked me. Like I, like I was a reporter. Like they didn't notice. I just walked in the door, and I was like, okay, uh, yeah, I would. I have a question. I'd like to know if you're soliciting help from the police, from people in the neighborhood. I live in Midtown. Uh, why don't you arrest the guy that attacked my wife? And all the TV cameras just swing. <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, well, we'd rather not talk about that now. And I said, I, I would like to talk about it now, and we're going to talk about it now, because I tried to contact you privately, and you didn't respond. And I've given you multiple opportunities. Well, we just don't think this is a press matter. It is now, because because <laughs> I'm going to protect my wife. And I was interviewed on all these stations. I was like the lead story for like three days. And you can actually watch this. if you. Look, I think it's on YouTube even now. It's like it, the headline in the paper was Area Man Crashes Press Conference. <laughs> but what was funny about it, people watch the video and they're like, dude, somebody attacked your wife, but you were, you were cool under pressure. That's not me. That's not me generally. But I wasn't angry. I just wasn't leaving. So I was able to think on my feet. I wasn't clouded by it. So the things I said 
they were like, that was hilarious because they were like trying not to talk to you. You're like, no, we're going to talk right now. This is going to happen. You say you want help with crime. I've handed you all the information. I called 911. I know his name. I gave you an address. You still didn't arrest him. So now you're going to do it. But it's not out of anger. In fact, when the guy was arrested two hours later, <laughs> when the guy was arrested, it was our hope and what we lobbied for was mental health counseling and you know, he had a residential program and because he's a young guy, we're like, something's not right. We're praying for him. We want God's blessings on him. It's not anger. It's not anger. It's love. It's love that motivates us to do the right things. But if you think your anger is righteous, not only are you suffering physiologically, like we were just talking about, but you can delude yourself into thinking you've done something just by getting angry about it. We need to, we need to deal with injustice. You know, there's a, a woman named Rachel Denhollander who was a gymnast for, maybe you know who she is, but she was a gymnast for Michigan State when Larry Nassar was there. She was one of his victims of abuse. And I thought it was so interesting and so vivid what she said when she was a part of his prosecution. Now, she's somebody who's a believer in Jesus. I have, I have her comments right here on my phone. And she talked about justice and forgiveness. And here's what she said. Both of those are biblical concepts. Both of those represent Christ. We do not do well when we focus on only one of them. What it means when I say that, I forgive Larry Nasser is, I trust in God's justice. And I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him and I trust God's justice. Whether he chooses to meet that out purely eternally or both in heaven and on earth. They work together. God's forgiveness is a beautiful thing. See, Rachel Tenhollander doesn't have to live without bitterness. She doesn't have to pay this price over and over and over for the rest of her life because she's able to let it go. I use an example because people always will bring up, but what about this? What about that horrible thing? Are you telling me I should forgive this or that? Like, I can only share the scriptures, which are very pointed about forgiveness and very direct. But I share a story in, in the book, Unoffendable, about Sakriksa Hem. This guy was in Cambodia in 1977. This is so horrible. It's almost for hard for me to talk about, but it's the extremity that makes the point. He was, I think he had 11 people in his family. So the communists in Cambodia were coming through villages just killing people. They lined his family up against a hole that they had dug and beat them to death. And they all just fell into the hole, including him, but he wasn't dead. So he was lying in this hole overnight with his now deceased family. He crawls out in the dark of night and escapes and manages to get to a city and dedicates his life to vengeance. I, he remembered vividly what these guys looked like. He remembered the names that they called each other. And he wrote about this in a book because after he became a believer, he struggled with, well, what am I supposed to do now? Like, what, what am I supposed to do? And he came to the conclusion, shockingly, I'm supposed to forgive him. And so he hunted them down. He, people were scared because he was getting names and addresses and whatnot. They're like, okay, he's going to do something. He's, his, his whole thing was to go to them and personally tell them, and he did, to two of the guys he found. 
that I forgive you because of what Jesus has done for me. I use that as an example. What happened to his family is unjust. It's horrific. It's unthinkable. It's awful. But he grasped the weight of God's grace towards us. Like what Jesus went through for us. And so Creeks and him is saying, I don't have a choice. I don't think there is a choice. If you're if I'm somebody who's a Jesus follower, I don't think there's a, a rationalization for me to think that I can stay angry at somebody else even though I'm a sinner and God has forgiven me. This is this is radical stuff. I mean, most people don't want to go this far, but since when has Christianity stopped being radical? This is the whole th- this is the whole thing. Like I said, this is discipleship itself. Like this is it. This is this is amazing grace to be able to do something like that. The world is broken, but we are agents of forgiveness, even as we stand for justice. So that's my response to that question. It's a great question. Like, what do we do? It is a great question. And the beautiful answer is that we can still be free of anger. It doesn't have to kill us. And what we're going to talk about next is just how wonderful that is, how it allows you to see people differently when you do this, when you let go of this judgment towards everybody. Like, it, it changes everything, and it's a beautiful thing because you'll see stuff other people won't see, but we're going to talk about that next. So thank you for sticking around. I also have the ability, what in the world? I'm not good with directions. I just, I don't know where I am. The only map I really know is Middle Earth. Misty Mountains, I could get you there. If I wanted to get to the, from the Shire, oh, whoops. I need to pay attention. See, that would have been horrible. But it would have been horrible. So, yeah, I, I honestly didn't see him. Real. Did you say man or ma'am? Man. 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 What do you mean by ma'am? Like keeps her from suppressing laughter. <laughs> 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 okay, so we're kind of on schedule. 6.51, we're one minute behind. I wanted to take about nine or ten minutes. Take home from this. Main point, main points, struggled with this, questions I have, um, what was helpful, and is there a verse that really encapsulates what you heard? It's yours. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, mm-hmm. I don't mean, <laughs> be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Just as God and Christ is also forgiving you. Yeah. And what precedes that? Loud bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from me along with all malice. So any, all the words in the Greek that are associated with anger, he puts them there and says, those got to go, and here's the alternative. So that's that's a beautiful encapsulation of of, of what he said, yeah. So if, if I just imagine getting up every morning and reading Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 and say, Lord, I want to be this today. Help me. And, and when I'm in the heat of the moment, bring that verse to my memory. Imagine 
how that would impact your life and convict me when I'm violating that. Phil? So again, I think the main takeaway is not to hold on to anger that it's not sure I agree with his content. He almost makes me feel like any anger I feel is wrong. Yeah. And I think that look, I don't think that's true. David, when, he, when Nathan confronted him about the story of the he got angry. And when it turned on him, I think it led to repentance. I think his anger was an appropriate response. Yeah, that's an interesting passage. He'll say, he'll say, aren't we supposed to be angry at injustice? He says, my answer biblically is no. There is no passage. That's a story. passage that says, well, don't get angry over injustice. Yeah, there's no passage that says anger, it, human anger is a good thing. Go with it. Every human anger in Scripture everywhere has always said it's got to go. Now, there's an interesting story. There's, but that doesn't mean there's no emotion. So, so I've wondered, because so, I've struggled with this too. It's not like I have no problem with that. Yeah, like, wait a minute. And I've wondered if the, the truth is all the biblical words for anger are not allowed for people. They're only God. God is allowed. Man's not. That's just, that's just biblically true. So I thought, could I say I'm concerned or I'm upset, I'm frustrated, um, I do feel like one way that I help myself answer this, it seems like every time he mentioned anger's bad's got to go, it's defined as something similar to what you were saying that you hold on to that grows and festers. He used the word bitterness and vengeance a lot. It's anger that is a vengeful anger. It's just hard for us, in our, I think at least for me, in my English 21st century use of the word anger, to swallow that, but biblically speaking, he's right. Not only, I don't know. I thought can he be right? I keep thinking there's going to be a verse that comes up. There's an there's an example. Does it say? Does it use the biblical word for anger, or was that an emotion? I'd be curious to look at that. If we find that, we'll write him and say, "Hi, hey, we found we found an exception to it." Or Moses was angry. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. So, but but don't let, don't keep it. But don't keep it for sure. Yeah. Other take home. One of the things that he said that kind of stuck with me was that he said to be clear-minded. Uh -huh. So if you get anger, but you don't let your anger carry you into the next step, then you can be clear-minded. But anger clouds the mind. Yeah, he said uh, anger clouds judgment, anger solves nothing, anger doesn't fix anything. Whereas Phil would say, oh, I don't know about the story, it helped David deal with this. I'm curious, is the word anger using that or is there, are we just reading anger into David's response? Um, other take home? Other thoughts? Yolanda? I think about trusting in God's justice because I'm human and I want someone to be held accountable. Yeah. And if I focus on God's justice, then I can get what I need. Yeah. But I want something to be done and I want to do it now and I want to see it. Trusting in God, that's hard. And waiting on God for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Eddie, you're asking whether the word anger is used. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that room four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. So David was right for that. Anger. I think that was an appropriate response. Good, good, good example. I'd have to look up that word, number one. Number two, just because a biblical character does something doesn't validate it as correct, though, I would say. 
I think it was an appropriate response. Yeah. Well, I have, I have to look into that. Uh, that may be the one exception, but I've got but other examples of David doing things that were wrong, so I'm not sure. I said, oh, David was angry. Anger is okay. No, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm oh, not saying okay. hold on to anger. I'm saying there are situations where anger is the appropriate response. And that was yeah. a situation where anger or injustice. If there is right. a child being forced into prostitution, I think anger is an appropriate response. That doesn't mean I hold on to that, but it should lead to action. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just so we got that one verse. I'm not sure about that, but uh, so don't hold on to it, at least you would say. Um, my thought from that, Ephesians uh, 4:26, be angry and do not sin. Yeah. So saying anger is okay. It's what you do with your anger and holding on to it, letting it fester, acting out. Yeah. I mean, because we're, I feel like anger is emotion that we're going to have. It's going to come up, but it's how we right yeah he spent a whole class on that and his point would be if it's okay to keep it why if it's okay why should you let it go that, that's his point uh but he he, he mentioned he mentions that uh it's definitely a struggle i get that other points paul responded in anger in um okay there what's the give us that one acts 23 uh he's standing for the Sent me headbrand and he says, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth, which they did. Then Paul said, God will strike you, you whitewash wall. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not anger. It's some kind of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. I told you what? He apologized. Who did? Uh, Paul. Paul. Says, uh, yeah. He dares speak to the high priest that way, and he says, "I didn't know it was the high priest, for it's written, you shall evil is the rule." And so there's an example. Just because David or Paul <laughs> do something doesn't validate it is correct. But there are there has to be some emotion that drives you to work for justice. So if it's not anger, how do we define there? It has to be some emotion. Okay, we got just a couple more minutes. I or maybe we'll just go to another week. But uh, <laughs> the grace, the grace is the field. Okay. One of the other things that he said was don't conflate anger with action. That's a good point. Yeah, that was a good point he made. I, I thought that was really important. There are a lot of people have done something about it because they tweeted or they put something on Facebook, and I thought it was interesting. He said those that tweet the most do the least it's something like that I, i've seen that i've seen people in this church that are no longer here they were angry because of of uh, i remember once one guy said well why do we even have church on sunday we should go out and do service projects and we do a lot of service projects he never comes to them never came to any of them but he was strong about speaking up for it i've seen people that speak strongly on facebook about a lot of the issues that we battle over in our nation but they're not out in the community doing anything about it but they're doing something about it because they're expressing their anger on facebook or or on twitter or uh he said take action to me that's the greatest take home is don't move with anger move with action one of the things he said in that same conversation was do something about the injustice don't just talk about it and be angry yeah do something yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of that and what that does is it's just there's a fire and i just express my anger and i'm putting fuel on the fire
instead of solving it, getting out in the community and working one-on-one -on -one with the gospel with people to solve the problem. Fred? If it's not a anger, make it an emotional response. An emotional response. <laughs> well, I mean, if we can't use the word anger, we've got to come up with some word, right? Yeah. We're struggling with just that. Yeah. Word. That's what upset, frustrated, concerned. Was... Whatever it is, if I have a visceral emotional response to something, am I just going to stew about it? Am I going to seek vengeance, or am I going to try to find a way to help resolve? The thing and I guess the action he's talking about is try to do something to help because it's certainly wrong to see a child being molested and say boy that's just horrible and not do something about it if you know about it whatever so maybe you know I'm, I'm, I'm no longer going to get angry I'm just going to have strong emotional response <laughs> At least not orge and thumos, the words used in the Bible. They're, they're never associated with it. I, I, th I thought it's interesting, his Dietrich Bonhoeffer illustration, uh, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, was a, 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 a Lutheran, wasn't he? Yeah. Pastor. And he wanted to kill Hitler, but he wasn't angry. And I thought, that's interesting. I'm going to kill you, Mike, but I'm not angry with you. Well, that's good to know. I mean, because it's just the right thing to do. <laughs> like, that's what we said. Look, there's some emotion there. I don't know how to define it, but there's an emotion there. But it's not vengeance and retaliation and a bitterness welling up in me. If it is, then, then I definitely. What else could you have done? I mean, if he wanted to kill Hitler, he was doing something about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I struggle I, I struggle with Bonhoeffer in that area, to be honest with you, but that's another class from another time. I thought it was interesting, Martin Luther King, I did not realize, I had never read that Martin Luther King says, there's no place here for anger. He fought for injustice, he worked for injustice, but evidently he felt like anger had no place in his life. I, I had not read that, but evidently uh, he made, and he made reference to that about, he gave the examples of his wife's story, which is just crazy. Uh, I thought that was, he gave some good examples of people who said, okay, I'm going to do something about this, but I'm not going to let this consume me and, and hold on to it. Uh, but, I, but I'm going to take a stand here. Um, and I thought, it was, I thought it was a good point that those that work for justice, like police and judges, do we want them to be working out of anger? Is that what we want? Um, so I think in that sense, he's defining anger as an out-of-control emotion. Maybe we would buy anger in sense if you're in control and you're working to do what's right. Uh, it's just biblically speaking, you can't take that word and see it aloud for humans. Okay, any other thoughts? We might be able to get this next video. Here we go. I like this next video. It makes a really good take-home point. <laughs> So what did, you, what did you make this out of? Well, I had a vision to make an old lobster, so I wanted to do a cooked lobster because they're red when they're cooked. So I took some old motorcycle chain. You had to weld each one of these things? Each one of them on both sides. Then I made the pinching claw. One's a pinching claw and the other one is a crushing claw. So you had to learn about lobsters to Yeah, do so it. I learned quite a bit about them. Well, I got something I really want to show you. I was sitting in a restaurant with my wife having supper. I looked down at my spoon and I said, wow. 226 spoons, 15 knives. Just, you just you looked at a spoon and thought this could be a fish. Could be a fish. 
could be anything. That's amazing, Beth. When did you start doing art? A serious car accident, head injury in 2003. Got rid of my semi. Then I was getting lost and losing a lot of time, a lot of work. And then I started making a couple retirement gifts, and then I realized, scrap all over. People bring it to me. If I don't use it, I take a scrap yard and trade it for something else. Yeah, so this, what is this? This is my campfire, buddy. Made out of an old propane tank. So and awesome. so I use it to roast marshmallows yeah. or do uh, hot dogs in there. So I can just put it in here so, and cook my hot dogs. Yeah, and, uh, perfect. So it, you even have a little, because his hands are a little rack for your utensils. All this scrap metal that we're throwing away. I got this God-given talent. I can see what I can make out of it. Yes. So I just took off on it. For I love how it seems like God used the accident. He used it in a way that made you start creating things. Well, that's been my therapy, my art. Have you guys ever seen these renovation shows? Like the home renovation? Actually, there's like a thousand of these shows. And my theory is that each one of us will host one of these shows at some point in the future. But it's such a wonderful thing because people walk into a junkie home or what it looks like, wow, that's going to be tough to do anything with. And by the end of the show, they move the van or whatever it is they do. It's like, wow, I did not see that coming. Like, that's beautiful. It's stunning. But I, I was looking at the same house. I did not see that happening. This is an amazing thing about people that have artistic talent. They can see something, the rest of us look at it, and we're like, well, that's irredeemable. And they're like, no, that's, this is going to be great. There's something beautiful about it. And I want to make this point because it's my belief that, it's my experience too, that the more you become unoffendable, the more you're willing to forgive people as a lifestyle. Like you go into your day, I'm going to forgive everyone today. I know people are broken. This is what I'm going to do as a lifestyle. The more you will see people like an artist, because you're not going to be so put off. You're not disgusted anymore by everybody. You're not looking for something to be disgusted about. You're not scandalized by people anymore. There's nothing they can do to do that. So instead, you get to see some other stuff that's there that maybe other people don't get to see. But it really is an artistic thing. Like my friend Al talks about his real estate agent lady. Like they went and saw this junky place, like the overgrown grass. It was totally, they walk in the living room, literally there's motorcycle parts in there. There's like, it's just a junk place. And she's like, oh, you can do this. You can put a fireplace over here. We can like take that out, put a path down here and do this. And she's like, you look, this would be a great deal. Well, they did all the stuff she said. They actually bought the house and did all the stuff she said. And she came back and looked at it. And they were like, it's incredible. How did you see that? She's like, I just see things. Like, that's how artists work. They see stuff. And I think this can happen with us. Um, I give you this gigantic metal lobster as another example. Some guy, actually, his name's Lane, actually, the artist. But this is a chain from a motorcycle. The guy is looking at a chain on a motorcycle. If I see that, I'm thinking there's a chain for a motorcycle. He's thinking, I'm going to make me a giant red lobster out of this. That's amazing. <laughs> They just, have, they just have a different way of seeing things. I remember this story that Mike Iaconelli told. 
about World War II. I don't know if it's true or not. It was a great story. Maybe it is. But it was some American soldiers that had lost one of their friends in a, in a battle in France, and they were getting ready to pull out of that area, and they wanted to bury him in a church uh, graveyard that was right next to a church. And so they went up to the door, and they asked the priest who was there, can we bury our fallen friend here? And he said, I'm sorry, it's just for church members. That's, uh, you know, off limits. I'm sorry about that. So they went ahead and buried him next to the fence and said their last respects. And as they pulled out, they came by the next day as they were leaving the area. And they couldn't find their friend's grave. They just buried him the day before. Like, where is it? We just we just buried him here. And they went up and knocked on the door. And they asked the priest, like, we buried our friend. Where's his grave? He's like, oh, I felt bad about what I told you. And last night, I got up and I moved the fence. I like that a lot. But you see people, you see people differently when I think when we see them this way through the lens of forgiveness. I think it's closer to how God sees us. I'm pretty sure it is. One of the wonderful things about being unoffendable is it, it frees you up to be less fearful because you don't care what everybody thinks about you anymore. When you're constantly worried about being offended, or you're constantly worried about what everybody thinks and not making like you can let that go. A lot of your self-consciousness leads too. And I'm very self-conscious by nature and I'm an introvert. So it's hard for me to interact with neighbors and stuff like that. But this whole thing about forgiving people, weirdly enough, has lowered the stakes for me in relationships and now I can talk to them. We were living in a tight little townhome community years ago and I did not talk to the neighbors because I'm being my introverted self. My wife usually would. The people across the street, there was a, a guy with a wife, and they had a little boy, and she'd be out with a stroller, and they'd go by. I see them all the time. Never talked to them. Never wanted to. And they were gone for a week or two, a couple weeks, and their landlord rang our doorbell. Said, hey, I wanted you to know something. Um, the couple that lived across the street, um, they had a car accident. Uh, the car sank in the ravine, like next to the ditch, right along the highway on the way to Fort Myers. And um, he got out, but he, he could rescue the, the boy, but his wife drowned. And so I think he gets back tomorrow from he's been with his parents. And so I just wanted you to know that. I don't know if it was a week. I see him out there. Now he was out there pushing this baby. And I think it was like a week later, I was like, you know what? I can look stupid. It doesn't matter. I don't have to. So I went across the street and never talked to him. And I literally went up to the doorbell and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Ding dong. <laughs> and he came to the door and I said, I, I don't know what to tell you. I've not talked to you. I'm sorry. Live across the street. I'm so sorry. And he said, can you come inside? We talked for three hours. And then we talked again the next day and the next day and for a couple of years until he moved away with his little boy um, and was in a better place. But I don't normally do that kind of stuff. That's the reason I tell this story. I'm not a good neighbor. I'm the worst neighbor ever. But there's something about practicing this thing where you're actively forgiving people that lowers the stakes in relationships 
because if they don't like me, it's okay. If I make a fool out of myself, it's okay. I just I just want to do the next thing that's in front of me. And God actually honored that, which I thought was beautiful. Not long ago, we're talking days ago, uh, we moved to a different town on community. The, the guy across the street is, has been flying flags to make political statements, and has been freaking out our neighbor friends. I have not talked to this guy, but they're freaked out. And I don't know this guy. He's a big guy. He's awesome, I guess. You know, I just, but I don't know him. And people were worried in the neighborhood because they don't know him either. And I thought, okay. Well, it just so happened that my friend had gotten me a masterclass subscription, and I took the masterclass on hostage negotiation. <laughs> and they said, like, use use warm tones while you're talking. Like, talk like an FM DJ. I'm like, I could do that. I'm an FM DJ. <laughs> talk in a very, like, use your use a Midwestern accent. Be very calm. Be peaceful. Be direct. Make sure that they understand you're on their side as well. That you're rooting for them and everyone involved. And they just want everybody to be safe. So I went over to his house. And no one else would do it. I rang the doorbell like, well, he doesn't like me. He comes to the door like, yeah. He did not understand what I was telling him to take down his flags. He's like, I'm going to need you to take down your flags. I want to ask you to do that. We came inside. He let me sit down. We talked for a while. I left. But before I left, the neighbors drove by staring at us because we were on ladders taking his flags down and folding them up. And the neighbor's like, how did you do that? And it's so funny because he sent me a text. We exchanged numbers. He sent me a text. I kid you not. He sent me a text later that evening and said, I don't know what you just did to me, but you should be a hostage negotiator. For the <laughs> like, he even said your warm Midwestern accent. Your, I, I could not, he's like, I don't know what happened, but I know my flags aren't up anymore. <laughs> like, there's so, but I could not do that sort of thing before. I'm honestly telling you, but there's something about taking the fear out of the relationship because you're not, uh, like if, if it goes, somebody doesn't like me, it's okay. I love them anyway. And you know what? They pick up on the fact that you love them. Not only that you love them. See, this is the, this is the beauty of being undefendable. This is the beauty of it. They pick up not only on the fact that you love them. They pick up on the fact that you like them. I believe God is a, he's a, a person artist. He takes us when we, we, other people may see junk. And he makes something beautiful out of our lives. I've seen it so many times. We would be so refreshing if we were the people who were known for that. There's something weird about that guy. He actually loves me. There's something weird about that he's a Christian, but I feel comfortable. I can tell you this too. Like, I am very pharisaical by nature. I am a judgment guy. I'm a logic machine. I have friends that, like, you do not, I don't want to brag about it. I can't do sports. I can argue about stuff. I'm a logic machine. A doctor friend of mine said I logically pummel him. He's like, okay, all right, you win. Doesn't do any good if I don't love people. It's noise, right? It's just noise. But if I love people, now they can hear me. It's fascinating. If you study um, behavioral psychologists, they'll tell you this. People are not rational beings. They're emotional beings, and they use their rationality to back up what they already wanted to believe. 
So we harness our rationality in order to justify what we already wanted to think about people. And they said it's hopeless except for one thing. When they say it's hopeless, they mean you can't change anybody's mind on anything. Unless one thing, they said, that has been proven they can actually change somebody's mind. And this is why Facebook arguments never work, ever. I used to, th I used to be excited. I'm old enough to remember chat rooms. I was excited. Remember chat rooms were coming on? Like, oh, you can discuss religion or atheism or you know, science or whatever. Like, this is going to be great. The exchange of ideas, this is going to be wonderful. I'll be able to type in and exchange ideas. It was just all like LOL, JK, Jill, all that stuff. No ideas, just yelling at each other and that kind of stuff. But Facebook arguments don't work because it's missing this thing. They said the thing that will help people to finally be able to turn their minds on something is relationships. If you can tell I love you and we've got a relationship and I say, yeah, here's what I think about that. Your mind's open to it. You're like, maybe that has some validity. And what's wild for me is being somebody who's naturally pharisaical and kind of unlikable naturally, honestly. Since I've been doing this unoffendable thing and practicing forgiveness ahead of time, and people can tell I actually like him, people want to be around me. My neighbors, they can have any religious background, any political background or whatever, but they actually like me. And that's not normal. Because <laughs> there's, there's something about knowing somebody's on your side. And I am rooting for them. I'm rooting for everybody. I'm polling for all of us. Like, even my enemies. I'm rooting for them. There's something different about that. They pick up on it. And when you have a relationship with people, now they might finally listen when I tell them that God loves them. It's more believable now because I love them. I think it's our job to make it plausible for people to believe that God loves them. And it's not going to happen through us deciding that we can stay angry with them because they have failed in ways that we haven't. No, it's by living a life that's a great example. Like Paul wrote, leading a quiet life. He even said, mind your own business, basically. Love people. It's, it's not about relativism. It's not saying that anything goes or there's not things that don't hurt us as a people. It's about actually being for people in spite of our fallenness and acknowledging that brokenness. Either Calvary matters or it doesn't. Right? Because that's the thing. The way I like to say it is, is some people will say, yeah, Calvary happened, but because they're still mad about something. These people are so evil. These, this group is so evil. Those are so evil. Like, there is evil in the world. Don't get me wrong. But instead of saying, Calvary, but, did you see this? Calvary, but, did you see that? Look at these. We should flip it around. Like, there's this, but Calvary. Like, let's put the but Calvary, like, at the end. Like, God knows this. He knows the conditions of our heart. And his faithfulness endures forever. But his mercies are new every morning. His steadfast loving kindness is every day. That's what he's looking for from me and from you. I want to challenge you too, uh, to, to be aware of that like in your, in your daily life. We'll talk again uh, soon. We have one more session. And I'm very much looking forward to it. But this is something, when you practice it, watch, watch how it changes your heart towards people. 
and watch how they'll be able to they'll be able to experience God in a different way because you're now practicing this radical forgiveness towards them. So thank you for joining us. This is a stork he's made out of a little <laughs> shovel. <laughs> so it's it's just a it's made out of a shovel. Yeah. And it, that is genius. Drill a hole in it. That's hot. Drill a hole in it. Anybody compare you to Michelangelo? No. <laughs> I like this a lot. Think people think I'm crazy sometimes. No, no. But, but no. I'm having fun. All right, we're doing it. <laughs> uh, we have we're we're pretty much on schedule. If you if you could take home from this second video, one thing that was really helpful is you deal with difficult people in your life that are offensive and hurtful. Um, what would what would what was helpful tonight from that second video? Relationship. Relationship. Refuse to be scandalized by broken people. Refuse to be scandalized by broken people. Just, and that was a previous lesson too. He just says realize. These are humans that are broken. Understand that. Broken things are redeemable. Okay, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's such a beautiful point. Broken things are redeemable. And it's broken people that are hurting us. Hurting people hurt people. But that person that's hurting me is redeemable. That's powerful. Okay? See people through the eyes of forgiveness. See people through the eyes of forgiveness. Okay. If we love people. Okay. <laughs> KD. I don't hear well, so that's okay. <laughs> if we love people, they can then hear you. If we love people, then they can hear you. Yeah. And they'll hear the hard things, hopefully. And if they don't, yeah. How much we said about it's our job to make it plausible that God loves us. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? That it's our job to make it plausible that God loves them by showing them that we love them. Yeah, that's a strong point. Good take on it. I'm still stuck on the word, and he used the word right there at the end about being hurt so instead of anger i'm still stuck on that one but actually it made me think maybe it's not so much that i'm angry when i see an injustice it hurts me to see uh, people suffer injustice maybe there's a word because it, it shouldn't it, it's wrong if it comes to me if i get all worked up because somebody hurt me that's you know that's my problem but if I feel a genuine hurt for some other injustice that's happening to people, a group, or even a nation, or whatever, that I think that that kind of hit me in thinking about it. Yeah. Because it does. It hurts me to see some of the yeah. things that are going on in this world. And it should. Other good take-homes. I really like the uh, 
to contrast those bad things, or instead of saying Calvary, but bad uh, things. Yeah. Bad Slip. things, but Calvary. I don't mm. know if that's turning yeah. around. Right. Keith? I don't know who it was. It's still a lesson. I think it was here, but years ago, he said there are too many yabbits running around the church. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to eliminate that because that divides you right away. Yeah, but we're not. Yeah. Thankfully, God it doesn't use yeah, but are, are you just scratching your eyes with your glasses, Ken? Yeah. Okay, you are. I think this, what stuck with me was the man who was nearly beaten to death along with his family and he was able to forgive those who did it <clears throat> forgive them for they know not what they do yeah just like jesus i i really love the learning to see people through the like an artist i really love that to not to see beyond the hurt see beyond their anger, to see beyond what they're doing, and to see a work that can be done by God in their life. And so in that moment, how I respond can make them even uglier, or how I respond can be the beginning of a transformation and then being something very beautiful. And all of a sudden, was it motorcycle chains can become a, a red lobster your response to someone's ugly behavior can help them become someone beautiful or you can help them become even uglier. Seeing people through the lens of forgiveness, that's how God sees us. When you see who they can be, you love them and that makes you effective to confront whatever need uh, that needs to be dealt with because you love them. I thought that was I thought that was very helpful. And, and I, I, I thought of The story, because I was thinking, what's the scripture here? He did toss in First Thessalonians, but that was kind of like, all right, token first, and I, that's probably critical of me. But it it may be fair to say Saul in the Book of Acts was a terrorist. <laughs> it may be fair to say that of him. Uh, he he was a persecutor and a killer of Christians. Uh, and this was interesting enough happening where, where violence is happening right now in Jerusalem. And God said to, you know the story, God said to Ananias, um, a, a believer, a Christian, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore him. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias saw, <laughs> almost with validity, a persecutor, a killer, a murderer, a violent person that should not get away with what he's doing. Something needs to be done about this guy. And God says, we're going to do something. And God says, in the moment of, of, of Saul's in this, God says to him, go 
this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. God saw through the eyes of an artist and he says, Ananias, I need you to see him in the same way. Uh, and if, if we could, if in our interactions with people, if we could see through those eyes, uh, we would react hopefully differently without, without an anger that is vengeful. Uh, is there a this is just maybe uh, we don't have time for you to respond so I'll say it is there a Paul among the Hamas leaders of today that God sees could there be Okay, so next week is our final week, Phil. You'll be on the next And he's going to say, okay, good. Don't be like this. He's going to give us some practical how-tos. He already has. We're just going to wrap it up. So uh, let's have a prayer, and we will close. <laughs> Father, take these passages and these things that we've heard tonight and use them to shape and to form us into being people who love as you love, people who forgive as you forgive, people who stand for what is right and what is just and stand for justice in the appropriate way. Help us, Lord God, to see through your eyes um, as you have seen us and have shaped us and how you can see and shape others. And may other people know how much you love them by seeing how much we love them. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. See you next week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.